morning. Hope you guys are good. I know we got some of our students who are probably back this week. I want to welcome you back. And uh, if it's your first time here, whether you're a student or uh, just a first-time guest here from the community, we're glad you're here. Um, how many of you are ready for summer after this week? Anybody ready for summer? How many of you lost your mind Wednesday when we got an inch of snow? Anybody lose your mind Wednesday? Did anybody else see snow plows in Statesboro? I just want to know. Did anybody else see that? Maybe it was a figment of my imagination, but I swear I saw two snow plows in Statesboro going down Highway 301 when I was on the way home Wednesday after all the snow. And I, and, and I was like, we got an inch of snow. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I am ready for it to warm up a little bit. Not quite ready for summer yet, but, um, but excited. And excited today, we're starting a new series out of the book of Galatians called The Gospel. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, what Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, wrote about the gospel to the Galatians. <clears throat> and so uh, before we jump into that, if you want to be turning to the book of Galatians, I do want to mention to you that uh, we are starting tonight uh, with the Pooler campus having their first worship service. And so we're excited about that. Uh, believe that's going to be awesome and believe that God's going to do some incredible things uh, there in Pooler. We're having a vision night tonight. And so I'd ask that you be praying uh, for that meeting tonight and just for the work that God's going to do um, in the future through that campus. If you've been to Pooler, you know how crazy it is with the growth that is happening there and uh, people that are moving there and that kind of thing. And so we're excited because we feel like there's a lot of people there who can be reached and who can be brought to a relationship with Jesus as God uses his people uh, to minister to them. And so if you will be praying for that. Today, we're gonna be looking at Galatians chapter one. And we're gonna kind of hit the first 10 verses there and some other scriptures that go along with uh, what we're talking about. But I wanna set up the book of Galatians for you real quick. Uh, in this book, uh, the Apostle Paul again is writing to churches that were in the area of Galatia. And he's writing with a sense of urgency. He's writing even with a little bit of anger, uh, with, a, with a, a sense that something that's wrong has got to be corrected. And what's happened is Paul has gone in and taught these people what it means to come to faith in Christ. And he's taught them that, that faith in Christ that brings salvation is a complete work of God's grace. Uh, grace is this, you've got to understand this before you're going to be able to understand this message, that grace is God's unconditional love. It's love that we didn't earn. It's God giving us what we don't deserve. But it doesn't stop there. It's also the forgiveness we experience through Christ. It's God's grace, his love that, that sent Christ to us, the reason Jesus came. And so grace is a huge, important Thing. It's, it's the power of God uh, that works in our hearts and works in our lives and transforms our lives. And so grace is, is, is a huge uh, word in our faith. The love, the power, all of those things that God wants us to walk in as his people. And so Paul is writing to the Galatians because what's begun to happen is that these people called Judaizers, they were, they were Jewish Christians had come in and begun to teach them that basically you had to have faith in Christ. It was trusting in Jesus that, that brought salvation, that made you right with God. But there were also other things that you had to do in order to be saved, things like circumcision and different things like that, that they were trying to impose on these Gentile believers. And so this was a big deal because when we take and we add anything to the gospel, to the good news, to the fact that we're saved by grace through faith, that simply we receive what God's done, then we alter the gospel. We alter his word. We really remove the, 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 the power of grace and the power of what God's done for us. And so Paul is urgently telling them, don't turn from faith in Jesus. Don't turn from grace. And, and, and don't forget that your salvation, your relationship with God, what's transformed your life, what is transforming your life came to you, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross 
and you've received that by faith, by trusting in him. And so Paul is trying to preserve the gospel. He's trying to preserve the, 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 the very heart of Christianity. Not that we could work ourselves to God, but that God came to us to save us. And so let's read the first couple of verses. Then we're going to pray and get into this message. It says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Let's pray, God, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth of the good news. God, that we could never work our way to you, but God, you worked on our behalf so that we could come into a relationship with you. God, teach us how to walk in your grace, your unconditional love, God. The fact that you didn't give us what we deserve, what our sin deserves, but you gave us righteousness and you gave us a right standing with you through Jesus. God, teach us to walk in your power that's come through grace. And God, let us walk in the identity of Christ as you've given us, Lord. We just pray that you would move, God. You, would you move now in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I heard rumor that there's a pretty big football game tomorrow. Um, anybody got plans to watch a, a football game tomorrow night, maybe, uh, the Georgia game? How many of you are excited? You don't have to be ashamed. I'm not going to talk about how it's an idol in our lives or anything like that. So you can raise your hand and say, I know we're in, at Georgia Southern and, and we're in Statesboro, but I'm still a Georgia fan. I'm still pretty pumped that they're going to be playing tomorrow night. Um, but if you're a Georgia fan, how many of you have become conditioned to disappointment, right? If, if you've grown up a Georgia fan, that's been the story of your life. And every year we'd be ranked, we'd have a top five, 10 recruiting class. We'd be ranked in the top three, four, five, top 10, somewhere along the way. And then Alabama comes in and beats us 34 to 10. That's kind of how our whole life has been. And so um, I'm hoping for a different story tomorrow night. And part of me even feels like this, that something that I thought really and truthfully was impossible is happening. Like I didn't really know if Georgia would ever make it back to a national championship game um, because it, it just seemed impossible. It seemed like it was never going to happen. And so um, it, it's one of those things that it's kind of hard to believe, right? And, and when we think about the gospel in, in such a bigger way, it's, it's hard for us to believe sometimes. Like the, the good news is almost too good to accept. It's almost too big to be able to embrace. And here's the thing that I've realized about this is that the problem is not that I can look at your life and say God's grace is big enough to, 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 to cover your sin, uh, to love you past that, to get you past that. It's not that I can't look at your life and say, receive God's love, he loves you. It's hard when I flip it around and I say, I need to walk in God's grace. I should receive God's grace. It's easy for us to think that God loves someone else, that God wants to use someone else, that God's grace, his love, his power has been extended to someone else and then find it very difficult for us to walk in this grace. Maybe I'm the only one that has that problem, right? Uh, but it's hard to receive sometimes. It's so big, it seems impossible that I can be made right with God simply by trusting in what Jesus did. The, the whole system of the world goes against that concept. We're taught that, that from the time we were born, that if you're going to succeed, if you're going to be something, if you're going to be accepted, if you're going to be loved, it's based not on who you are as much as it's based on what you do, right? But the grace of God and the gospel goes completely against that. It's an uh, exact reverse of that. Because it tells us that it's not about what we've done, it's about what Jesus did. It's about his grace, his love, his power in our life. It's about the cross and him taking our place, our sin, our condemnation. But this is what it's about. But it's hard for us to wrap our minds, even to receive it into our hearts, that that's for me. So the first thing I want you to do today is not think about your neighbor. It's not to think about someone you wish were hearing this message. It's to realize this is for you. I had to realize this week that this is for me. And what Paul's trying to get 
the Galatians to not do is something that we very oftentimes do. We begin to walk away from the very grace, the love, and the power of God that saved us in the first place. And so he's telling them, don't walk away from this. In the very first two verses, he's saying, look, this is not something that my calling and my purpose and my teaching, it's not something that came from a man. I wasn't sent to you by a man. He says, I was sent to you by Jesus Christ and by the Father who raised him from the dead. He wants them to understand the reason that my message has authority that this other message doesn't is because God has sent me with this message and he's trying to get them to see that. He goes on in verse 3 and says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's saying, look, this is what I want for you. I want you to walk in God's grace, his unconditional love. I want, he wants for them to walk in the power of God, that transformation that only God can do. He wants them to live in a way that glorifies God. He says, to God be glory forever. But what he's saying is, you can't begin to add something to your salvation. You can't begin to walk away from salvation through grace, by faith, in Jesus without walking away from the God of grace. And he's telling them, I want this for you. He said, I want you to walk in this grace. He's saying, I want peace for you. But what we have to understand is that this peace that he's talking about, it can't come from anything else. It's not determined by our circumstances. The peace that he's wanting them to have is peace with God, is peace with other people. He's saying, look, I want you to have this peace, but this peace only comes through grace, God's love. It only comes by God not giving us what we deserve through Jesus. It only comes through his power working in your life. He's saying this is the grace that brings peace because only what Jesus did because of the grace of God has the power and the ability to save you from your sin. And so he's emphatic about this. And what we've got to understand is that anytime we begin to tag something onto our salvation, anytime we look at grace and say, yeah, it's about grace, but I've got to do this, then we begin to rob God of his glory. Because see, God's glory, the greatest glory that we can see in God is that he saved us that we've become trophies of his grace, that he's taken sinners and somehow made them righteous, that he's taken sinners and he's somehow reconciled them to God. He's taken sinners and he's somehow made us in right standing with God. But we lose the power. We deny ourselves the power that God wants us to have when we begin to attempt to save ourselves and this is something y'all that we've got to get it's something that I've got to get if we're ever going to do and become what God wants us to do and become it's not because we work harder it's because we begin to trust more in Jesus's work when we look at the gospel and we look at the good news becomes the the heart behind what we do, the motivation behind what we do is the grace of God that he's offered to us, that he's worked in our lives. This is the one thing that separates Christianity from every other religion or worldview. Everything else says, work your way to God, be good enough and you can work your way to God. But if you even logically think about that, who can make themselves good enough for a holy and perfect God? No one, but only Christianity says that God left heaven, God left perfection, God became imperfect so that we could become perfect, that God didn't tell us 
work out your salvation from a standpoint of your works are going to save you. He's saying work out your salvation from what faith has given you. And so he wants us to receive this. Paul is emphatically talking about this. So much so that he says, if you tag anything on to the gospel, if you tag anything on to grace by faith in Jesus that saved me, he's saying it's no gospel at all. He's saying you've distorted the whole way of salvation. And then he goes on in verses seven and eight and he says, if anyone, an angel, if anyone, another preacher, if anyone, even myself comes to you and preaches a gospel different from the one that I gave you, this is so important that I pray they would be cursed. Of course, I pray that they would come under judgment. I pray that they would be cut off. I pray that they would be shut up. He's saying, this is that important. And then he wraps it up in verse 10 and says, am I saying these things because I'm trying to please people? He's saying, look, I wouldn't be going through the persecution I'm going through if it weren't for me preaching this gospel of grace, this gospel of love and power that we receive from God apart from the works that we do. And so he's very adamant about this. And this week I was thinking about how one, when we deny grace and, and we begin to turn to our own effort, our own work for salvation, I began to think about when we deny God the glory that's rightfully his, we deny God the power that, that, that is ours, we begin to walk away from the God of grace in that relationship. And I started thinking like, why is it so hard for us to walk in the grace of God? Why is that such a difficult thing for us? And I felt like God sort of started showing me some different pictures of, of, of where we might be in relationship to God that's causing us to have a hard time receiving what God wants to give us. I'm, I'm saying this for people who maybe you've never walked in a relationship with Jesus. You've never received the grace, the unconditional love and the power and, and that, 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 that um, the Holy Spirit that comes with a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never received that. And so it's foreign to you. This walking in the love of God and the power of God is foreign. Or maybe you've received it and, and you came to this moment of salvation where you put your trust in Jesus. But now the difficult thing is to walk in it every day. To, to be empowered by it every day. Because everything around us, everything in us, everything in our mind tells us this, we got to do something. We got to be saved. We forget that we don't do the things we do as Christians to be saved. We do the things we do as Christians because we are saved. And so I want to go through some of these things. The, the first one that, that I see and that I know I've experienced in my own life is, is kind of like being in a pit. I started thinking about a pit and, and, and really this is pointing to sin or mistakes or decisions we've made. And so many times we, we have such a difficulty and forgiving ourselves and, and in, in the difficulty of forgiving ourselves, we have a difficulty in receiving God's grace and his love, his power, his forgiveness. And so it's like we're in this pit and mistakes, sins, decisions we've made that we're dug this pit. One of the hardest parts of this pit is that we dug it ourselves. We made that decision. We committed that sin. We made that mistake and now I'm in this pit and this pit is so great. This pit is so big. This pit is so, so, so uh, unconquerable. It's so, so big and vast, I'll never get out. It's so consistently walking in grace becomes an impossibility. Talking about peace with God, the best peace we have is when we're able to somehow just push it out of our mind for a little while. But even that peace doesn't last because it always comes back. We're always reminded by the pit, the walls around us. And so we've reversed the gospel. 
we look at the gospel very different than the way God wants us to look at it because in our mind, this is what we say. I'm the one who committed the sin. I'm the one who made the decision. I'm the one who made the mistake. Therefore, I'm the one who pays the punishment. I'm the one who pays the price for the sin that I've committed. We gotta reverse the gospel. We've reversed it just like the Judaizers were doing to the Galatians. We've reversed it. You gotta see, you've gotta understand. I've gotta understand that to think that I suffer for my sin, there's consequences to sin. There's no doubt. But to think that for the rest of my life, I walk in the punishment, I walk in the condemnation that my sin has brought, never experiencing the true life that God wants to give me is a lie and it goes against everything the gospel is because what we have to see is that Jesus suffered for our sin so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus was condemned on the cross so that we wouldn't be. That's why Paul could say in Romans 8, 1, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He didn't say that because one day God decided to forgive and just say, it's okay. God couldn't do that. He wouldn't be just. He wouldn't have been right in just pardoning evil. What he's saying is because Jesus was condemned, because Jesus was punished, because Jesus suffered, you no longer have to walk in condemnation. It's freedom. But our religious mind rejects it. And that's why we don't walk in the power of God. It's why our worship is hindered. It's why our lives are hindered. It's because we can't accept the fact that God has accepted us. And I'm going to hear objections to this. Well, that's why you just preach a watered-down gospel. It is the gospel. The gospel that changed my life was not get your crap together. Clean yourself up. The gospel that changed my life was that even though you're a pitiful sinner, even though you've done things that you should be ashamed of, even though you've, you've rebelled against God, you've blasphemed his name, you've mocked the church, you've mocked the cross, you've mocked Jesus himself, even though you've done those things, when you turn to me in faith, you receive my love, you receive my grace. It wasn't fear of hell that kept me living for God. It was his love and grace that he poured into my heart. The second one that hinders us from walking in grace, and don't think I'm cuckoo, right? But, but like I, I started seeing these things in my mind. I'm not saying that like I'm some kind of prophet that just has dreams and visions, but I'm saying I saw this. And so I was like, maybe that's God. And so I wrote it down. And the second thing that I saw was like words in concrete, right? Have you ever done this? Maybe in the past where somebody poured some fresh concrete and you snuck over there and wrote your initials or your name and the date on the concrete. And then it, it becomes permanent, it hardens and it becomes permanent. And I know I've done that before and, and people will write things on there, their name, their initials, date, whatever. They'll write so-and-so was here, W-U-Z, right? And they'll put that in the concrete. But I was thinking about how that works in our lives. And so many times the words that have become cemented in our heart, it's like that concrete from the standpoint of these words, these voices. Listen, the messages that we believed have become cemented in our heart. It doesn't mean we've never received the grace of God, but it means it is hard for us to continually walk in the grace of God because those voices, those messages speak louder than the truth of God's grace. See, some of us, the messages that have been cemented in our heart, that we've, we've formed a certain view of ourselves, we've formed a certain opinion about ourselves. The problem with that, though, is it's not the words that 
God wrote on your heart. It's the words that others have written on your heart. It's the words that you have formed the opinion of yourself with. And so it's just like that concrete, our hearts have become hardened to the message of grace because these voices are so loud. And some of us, it, maybe it was a parent that told us we'd never be anything or just berated us all the time or we never felt good enough. Maybe it was a child that said, I hate you, you're a terrible parent. Maybe it was a boss that fired you and said, look, you're not good enough to work here. Maybe it was, it was a friend, a quote, friend who said something to you that altered the way you live and the way you see you in Christ. Maybe it was a text message that you received. Maybe it was something on social media that someone posted. Maybe it was a colleague. Maybe it was a peer. Maybe it was a classmate. Maybe it was just culture in general and you watching culture that spoke into your life and created a message in your heart that has formed your opinion of you and who you are and therefore how you will be. See, the problem with that is we've believed messages and they've been written and cemented in our heart that block this message of grace. So we don't walk in the grace of God because that voice, that message is so much louder. It might be a voice of some experience. It might be a voice of divorce or bad relationship it might be a voice of something that was done to you it might have been molestation it might have been rape it could have been a number of things that were done to you and somehow that has begun to define you that has begun to tell you your worth it's begun to tell you your value and somehow that listen this is important if you're asleep you need to wake up and here's the thing I'll tell you somehow in your life that has become the greatest message that guides your opinion of you and who you are in Christ but I want to tell you this morning that the greatest message that should define our lives didn't come from an angry parent. It didn't come from an angry boss. It didn't come from a friend that stabbed us in the back. It didn't come from a colleague. It didn't come from a text message. It didn't come from, from, from social media. It didn't come from a commercial. It didn't come from a billboard. It didn't come out of someone's mouth. It didn't come from Billy Graham. The message didn't come from Martin Luther King. The message didn't come from Barack Obama. The message didn't come from Donald Trump. The message didn't come from some other source. The greatest message that should define our lives and that should show us who we are and give us the power for true life is Jesus hanging on the cross. It's the unrighteous becoming, or the righteous becoming unrighteous for us. It's the one who was without faults, taking our faults so we could be faultless. It's the one who had no sin taking our sin so that we could become sinless. See, you can't look at the cross and not see grace. You can't look at the cross and not see God's love. You can't look at the cross and not see God's power as he overcomes sin, hell, and the grave, and he raises Jesus to life, promising us that same life. You can't look at the cross and not see God's heart. That should be the greatest message in our lives. But we take our eyes off of the cross and the voices, the messages that we've received and we've believed and we've accepted and become permanent in our lives have drowned out that voice of grace, the message of truth, the message of the cross. We've got to get our eyes back on the cross, the power of the cross. And see, there, there's people here this morning that 
You don't, you, you don't understand. You don't get that because it's foolish to you. But listen, the Bible tells us that even though it's maybe foolish to those who are perishing, for those who believe, it's the power of salvation. And my prayer is, I can't do this, but my prayer is that God would open your eyes to the reality of this grace and love that he showed us through Christ. The next one is the hindrance to walking in grace is, is the picture that I saw was like this closed box. It's like this closed box with, with a lid on it and nothing really could come out, but nothing could get in. And, and, and it wasn't that I saw us in not able to get out of the box as much as what I was thinking is we wouldn't let God in the box. We just keep it sealed off and we're content with what God's already put in there. And this is a lot of people in church today. We live off of crumbs of these past experiences with God. We just settle. This is, that's the biggest word in this one is we've settled. Listen, we've settled for what God once did. But we don't experience him now. We've settled in our marriage and how it is. We've settled in raising our children or how our children are. And it's just how it is. Some of us, we just look at ourselves and go, well, this is just how I am. If you don't like me like this, and you just don't like me. But what if God wants to change you? We've just settled. We've settled for those past experiences of God's power, his love. We've quit pursuing. We've quit asking. We've quit seeking. We've quit knocking. And for many of us, we can't remember the last time that we experienced God, that we experienced his grace, that we experienced his power, his love, his conviction, all of those things. And I honestly believe this, y'all, and I, I say this with love because this is, and really and truly, this is the one that I fall into the most. But for the majority of us who are in this box, the reason that we're in that box is because the excuses we've made in our life have grown to the point that they push God out. We make excuses of not having time. I would serve God, I would press into God, I don't have time or my circumstances aren't really that great and so I, I can't really do what I wanna do. I can't really, really serve God the way I wanna serve him. So these excuses begin to come up. I, I hear them so much and, and listen, for a lot of us who are in church and this is gonna get on some toes, I know it is, but I say it cause I love you. I don't stand up here just to try to tick people off, I promise. But the thing I will tell you is some of you look at your experience with God and everything can be lumped under a heading called the good old days. And I hear this in our church all the time. Well, when we were in the pond house, that was the good old days. Man, God moved. That was awesome. Man, when we were at the blue building, that was, that was how it should be. We loved him, man. It was good. We were excited. The spirit was moving. Whoo, bless God. <laughs> oh, when we were at the high school, man, that was awesome. And I do this too. I think about days we baptized 54 people in one day or things like that. And I'm like, man. That was awesome. I hear people say this too. This one really, I don't know if it ticks me off or hurts my feelings or both, but they say this one, Brandon's heart's just different. As the church has grown, his heart's different. He's, he's really more about the business of the church than he is about the spirit. <clears throat> that bothers me. And then I hear this too, well, you know, the church just is it's just different and Brandon's heart's different and the messages don't speak to me like 
they used to speak to me, and I just don't feel like worshiping like I used to worship. And I mean, I love Chase, but I just the music, and I, I just, you know, I, it's just not my style. And I hear all of these things from people who basically are telling me or telling someone else why their fire has gone out. But this is what I would suggest to you this morning. Maybe the reason your fire has gone out is not because it's the church's fault. Maybe the reason the fire has gone out is not because my heart has changed. Maybe the reason the fire has gone out is because you've moved away from the flame. Maybe you need to drop back and look at God's grace and when you encountered him in your life and take responsibility for your relationship with God and quit blaming other people for a lack thereof. Quit looking out the window at someone you can point to and start looking in the mirror and do something about it. Go back to the moment that grace changed your life. Part of the problem is the church has put the what ahead of the why. We put the what ahead of the why. It causes us to get into this place. We forget, why am I doing this? And so we just begin to do what the church has said. The church is great at telling us what to do. I should be doing this. I ought to do that. I shouldn't be doing this. But we sometimes don't talk about why. I've heard people say, well, you know, I served, I paid my dues, I did all that. I'm like, if it was all about paying dues, then isn't that a jacked up reason to be serving in the first place? If it's about paying dues, don't we have the gospel reversed? That I don't do the things God called me to do and has commanded me to do because I've got to pay my dues. I do them because my dues have been paid. It's a completely different mindset. And the reason that some of us don't do the things that God asks us to do is because we've forgotten the why or we've never experienced the why. And so we don't do the what. And so we need to come back to this gospel of grace, the gospel of power, the gospel that changes lives and changes hearts. And we need to re-embrace it. When we were out in Utah skiing, um, I was skiing just me and Jackson. And, uh, and I finally talked him into going down this blue slope, this intermediate slope that he hadn't been down. And Jackson is the cautious one in our family. He's probably got the most sense. And so he, um, he was hesitant. But I finally talked him into it. And I said, all right, Jackson, look, you can do this, buddy. I got confidence in you. All you got to do is make good turns. Don't go too fast. And my best ski advice is if you get going too fast, fall, Right. That's the best teaching I got. And so he starts down, he starts off pretty good. And all of a sudden I see his skis turn straight down the hill and he's like a missile. And I don't know what it is about people, but when they get out of control, instead of falling or doing something, you do this. <laughs> and so he's just flying down the mountain. And at this point I'm like, I need to help. So I go as fast as I can, I can't catch him. And so I, I'm noticing though, that there was like this little poof of smoke or not smoke, but snow that came up. And then I didn't see anything else. And so I see Jackson going to the, this little flat area on the run that we were on. And then I, I'm skiing down and I see him talking to this lady in a yellow jacket. And so I pull up and on the yellow jacket, it said ski patrol. <laughs> and she said, you must be dad. I said, I don't know that kid. Never seen him before in my life. I just wanted to see what you were going to do about that. I didn't do that, but I said, yeah, I am. And for 10 minutes, she lectured us on what he had done wrong because come to find out, Jackson hit the ski patrol. <laughs> out of all the hundreds of people that he could have hit, he hit the ski patrol. And so for 10 minutes, she's lecturing us about what we were doing wrong and What's going to happen if we do it again? And I was like, give her an Emmy because she's so dramatic. I'm like, it is over with. 
And so I'm like, uh, you know, and she's talking. And then finally she gets done, but I was thinking about it later. I was like, she completely addressed the wrong thing. Like Jackson, he was not malicious. He was not intentional in running over the ski patrol. It just happened because he was out of control. And so she's addressing what he did wrong when she should have been addressing, your dad should have never put you on this slope to begin with. It was the why that she needed to address, the why. He's just learning to ski. Don't put him there. But she completely addressed the wrong thing. And so many times as Christians, we ourselves do that. We address the what instead of the why. We've got to get back to worshiping God because of the why, because of what he's done the next one and 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 a lot of people i know are here today and you're you're probably in this one And, and there's a lot of people who attend church sunday after sunday or occasionally that fall into this but the picture i had in my mind was a mirage you think about a mirage and it's something that you see but it doesn't really exist i was thinking about what if you were walking in the desert and you are dying of thirst and you see water ahead. But every time you get to the water, there's nothing there but sand. How many times would that have to happen before you got frustrated, before you got disappointed, before you got disillusioned, even before you got skeptical? That that look, look, I'm not even excited or even really thinking about the possibility that I'm going to find water. I'm not really thinking about the possibility that I'm going to find satisfaction. I'm not really thinking about that possibility because over and over and over again, I've gone to that place that looks like water, but when I get there, it's empty. I give you the problem with church for centuries is that we've proclaimed a message that we don't possess. No one and nothing has hurt the church more than people who say they believe in God, they believe in his existence, they believe in Christ, but live as though he really doesn't exist. We don't have this relationship that we proclaim that everybody needs. And so many people have gone to church and they've gone with the hopes of maybe this is it. Maybe this will do it. Maybe I'll meet God. Only to find it empty. And this is what I would tell you. We can't give people something we don't have. If the power of God is not working in our lives, how can I point someone else to the reality of God? We've got to recognize this we've got to correct that error as the church we've got to point people not to a program to modify their behavior we've got to point them to a person who can change their heart we don't point them to a system to accomplish our agenda we we point them to a savior that saves their soul We've either so much focused on the problem, sin, without giving the solution, a savior named Jesus, or we've ignored the problem, sin. So they see no reason for Jesus. And so people have come thirsty and left disappointed and disillusioned and skeptical. Every Sunday, or pretty much every Sunday that I preach, one of my last thoughts before I come out here is what about that person that's never experienced the grace of God and they walk through the doors today and in their heart they say, this is the last chance I'm giving. What do we have to offer that person? Who are we pointing him to? Do we possess the reality of the God that we're telling them they need? 
weighs on me. That, I think about that a lot. We got to get to a place and listen as the church where we're, we're in a situation where we're pointing them to someone that we've met. We're pointing them to the spirit that we possess. We're pointing them to the power that changed our life. And listen, if you're in that situation where the church and maybe a Bible study, maybe, I don't know, maybe another Christian, it's been like a mirage where you've gone thinking, I'm gonna find life. I'm gonna have my thirst quenched. And listen, this is what you've got to see today. And my prayers, the spirit would help you to see this, that you can't form your understanding of God based off of people. But the nature and character of God that we see when we look at Jesus, when we look at the cross, the last one that I'm gonna do, and I'm out of time, so this one's pretty self-explanatory. But the last one that I saw in my mind was this train on an unfinished track. And here's the thing I realized, there's a lot of people who are in that all around us and in the church. That the, the track you've chosen is your own track, it's your own path, it's your own way. The reason you need to reverse the gospel is because you've rejected it, you've denied it, you see no need for it in your life. So you're riding on your own tracks. And, and here's the thing, you might be riding fast, you might be riding hard and getting it done. Listen, you might be you know, riding smooth and it's, it's, it's not even bumpy. But let me ask you this. Where's it heading? It's heading to destruction. And this is what I know. I've lived long enough to know this. When I put myself on my own tracks, it never turns out good and some of you feel stuck to those tracks but I'm telling you that there is one who can break the power of that way that can break the power of sin in your life and his name is Jesus and it happens not because you get better it happens because of his grace in your life and receiving what he has offered Matthew 7 13 and 14 talks about how wide the path to destruction is. Listen, it's appealing. But let me ask you this. When you get to the end, what's it gonna lead to? And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to condemn you. Condemnation exists because of your choice to reject the gospel. but I want to encourage you to receive the grace of God. Here, here's the good thing. You're hearing these words, so it's not too late. There's time. And I don't believe anybody's here by accident. I believe you're here by a divine appointment. And my challenge to you, regardless of where you find yourself in this, as, as this, this pit or, or this words on concrete, the messages you believed, or, or, or a mirage or a closed box, or this train on this unfinished tracks, I'm asking, I'm pleading, I'm praying that the Spirit would move in a way that would bring us back to walking in grace and a relationship with Christ. And so I'm going to close it out. I'm about three minutes over. And so this is what I'm gonna do. I did this at the nine o'clock service. I'm gonna ask our prayer team. I'm gonna ask him to come to the front. And, and listen, if you're a connect group leader, uh, you can come too. And I wanna encourage you that wherever you find yourself in this, that today you don't leave here without a fresh, understanding of the grace of God. Don't stop asking, don't stop seeking, don't stop knocking because the Bible tells us that God is faithful to give us his spirit when we do so. 
And so maybe you've experienced the grace of Christ. Maybe, listen, you're saved. You've given your life to Christ, but you're walking in condemnation. You're, you're in a stale place, a dry place. And I'm encouraging you that when I pray, you come and you get prayed for. I'm encouraging you at the least just come and spend some time with God. Maybe you just need God to speak to your heart because you closed the box. Maybe you're on the tracks and you're headed for destruction and you know I need a savior in my life. You come tell one of these people, don't walk out of here saying, well, I made a decision for Christ that you haven't talked to one of them so that we can help you take your next steps of faith. Listen, this is I'm just gonna be as truthful as I can. You're 11 o'clock so I can... I say more stuff. At nine o'clock, I think two people moved. And I want you to understand this, it's not about my ego. I've been doing this long enough that every one of you like put your book up and your Bible up in front of your face. Like, okay. It's not about my ego and you coming here. It's about you walking in the grace of God. And it's not doing something so you can receive it. It's coming seeking and asking and knocking, knowing that God is faithful to meet us. That when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And so I'm encouraging you to respond how God prompts you to respond. And so I'm gonna pray, you move, you do what you feel led to do. God, thank you so much for your word and your truth and your power. God, thank you that the gospel of grace, this good news that you love us, that you don't give us what we deserve, but Jesus took what we deserve so we could have what we don't deserve. I pray, God, that that message would sink deeper into our hearts and that we could receive it for ourselves, that we could come to a place of walking in that consistently because it becomes the greatest message in our heart and our life. God, help us do that. Send your spirit to work in us. As we fix our eyes on you, God, give us the perseverance to run the race. Change our motives, our desires, our passion as we look at the grace of Jesus. We love you, God, and we thank you that you've called us to proclaim this message to challenge people to walk in this, not because we have to, but because we get to. But we love you and thank you for your love in our lives that we didn't deserve, but you've lavished upon.